Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back. I am excited to be back with another returning guest host for the classic story Sheriff of Bullet Valley. But uh, introductions first. Guest host, who are you? My name is Eric Hartley, a lover of ducks and westerns. Awesome. So that was going to be my first question, Eric. Um, are, are you a westerns fan? Because, boy, uh, it's, it's going to help with this one. Yeah, I, I grew up on westerns as a kid. I have had to do uh, projects on Hoplon Cassidy, some versed in the old era. Big fan of the Westerns of the era from this comic as well. Nice. So even specifically this era, right? And and we are talking Sheriff of Bullet Valley is in the late 40s. Um, so let's see. We've got what? I think Treasure of the Sierra Madre came out the same year as this one. Yeah, I don't know if that is qualified as a Western. It's it's that, that time frame. Yeah. But... Yeah, um, John Wayne was in his his heyday around this. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad to hear it. I thought you might have been a westerns fan. I'm I'm not a big western fan, um, but <laughs> you're you're gasping. Um, but I do like. I mean, I like some western adjacent stories, and uh, I, I mean this one. I I think I introduced it as a classic. I I love this story. I'm so excited to talk about this one. So so let's get into it. Um, hey, r- really quickly, though, what, what are some of your favorite Westerns? Winchester 76 with Jimmy Stewart's very good. Uh, there's some of the classic uh, Man With No Name, uh, Clint um, Eastwood. There were some early, I've seen some early John Wayne, the, the Sons of Katie Elder is one of his good ones. True Grit. Uh, later ones in the 80s, I grew up on a one called Silverado with Kevin, Kevin Klein. And then just so many Western novels from Louis L'Amour. When we do road trips as a kid, just all sorts of them. Wow. So, so, yeah. so you're like the, the target audience for this one, basically. Uh, yes, yes. So do you like, do you think you like like the spaghetti Westerns, the um, classic era ones, the like later era revisionist ones? Well, the, they all have their place. I think of those three the later revisionist ones I'm not the big fan of because the Westerns growing up and how they were modeled in society was always the lone hero or the, the struggling farmer against the, the, the land baron. And when they brought them up, the new one, the revisionist ones in that late, late days, um, always, oh, I'm the ex- just a lot more violent, a lot more gritty, which certainly has its place, but it's just very different from the Westerns I grew up with. So I'm not the biggest fan. I get you. The original Magnificent Seven was fantastic. Yeah. The remake, not so much. It was it was an entertaining movie, but as far as Westerns go, it just it didn't do it for me. So Sheriff of Bullet Valley is a real love letter to TV and movie Westerns, right? This is incredibly of its time. Um, this, this is going to be fun to talk about. So the story is published in October of 1948. 
in the comic for color number 199. Um, I checked number of reprints. This one's been reprinted quite a lot in the U.S. Ten, ten different prints were listed. And this is one of our longer stories that we've looked at. This is a 32-pager. And um, Eric, I didn't talk to you about this, but you want to you wanna give the synopsis? Uh, or do you want me to go for it? I got this. Uh, essentially, this story is Donald and the Nephews. And they come across a town area called Boat Valley. They see a poster saying, you know, rustlers in the area, big reward available. And Donald, as a love of Westerns, decides, hey, I know how the angles, I know I don't the angles for cattle wrestling. I'm going to go sign myself up as deputy. Convinces the sheriff that he should be the deputy. Goes out to try to find the, rest of the rustlers. Um, and then comes across individuals who say, no, we're getting rustled. Turns out that they're the real wrestlers, and they've got a quite the neat trick as to convince everyone of the brand of their of their of their cattle is actually his. Once the nephews of inevitably show up to save the day, convince Donald that he was wrong, the bad guy gets away, and Donald has to track him through the badlands and use his gumption, if you will, to beat the villain and capture capture the evil cattle wrestler. Right on, yeah. So his um, his knowledge of the angles is going to pay off eventually. Yeah, so this, this is really about cowboy cliches, right? And about yes. the the idea of the Western and the idea of the Hollywood Wild West. And uh, it's, it's interesting how we're meant, I think, at the beginning to think of Donald as, you know, foolish and wrongheaded and... Um, then we're really supposed to regard him as heroic by the end. So th this is a, a, an interesting love letter to what I, I've heard called the horse opera. Yes, the, the proper term for Donald this would be a greenhorn. Right. Yeah, excellent. Um, so here's a little bit of background trivia about this story. Uh, I read a pretty good article by the editor Jeffrey Blum in, in my reprint of this. And um, Blum talks about how Karl Barks was well known as being a fan of horse operas. You know, it, it, it's very obvious in this one that he wanted to create this kind of love letter. I did learn some new stuff from this one. I found that this story uses some elements from a, a Mickey Mouse cartoon that Barks had, had storyboarded back when he was working for the film division um, that, that never ended up being completed. It was called Northwest Mounted. It had Pete as the villain. So, you know, Black Snake uh, kind of fits nicely into that villain slot in this one. And the, um, the little yo-yo segment, the treatment that he gives Black Snake at the end, is taken straight from that storyboard. And what? Uh, don't, don't waste a good idea. Right. And Barks is going to go back to this well a few times for uh, his stories. You know, there's going to be a few of these Wild West sort of dude ranch themed stories it's a setting that he likes. Um, he doesn't do it too much in the adventure length ones. I can think of in old California offhand, and then a few like old mining town ones. Um, oh, the one, the mystery of the ghost town railroad, I think it was called. But um, yeah, he, he does. He definitely enjoys, enjoys this genre. Um, I thought it was interesting that right in the beginning of this one it seems to be one of a small number of times that donald is going to break the fourth wall where he kind of addresses the reader directly and then there is a fun little caricature of barks himself on the very last page of this that people can keep an eye out for 
Um, he's, I think he's in a wanted poster or something like this that he drew of himself. Um, a few of the, ooh, I didn't share with you the titles from around the world. Can I uh, send it to you in the chat really quick? Here, this is this will be fun just doing it like right off the top. All right, I've sent you some of the titles. Uh, oh, the top one is Denmark. Let me let me do Denmark. So the Danish title from Denmark, this one is Sheriffen i Sexloberdalen, or the Sheriff of the Six Gun Valley, I believe is the pronunciation. Wow. Do you want to do, uh, do you want to try France? Do you want to try Spain? Uh, I'll try France. All right. Fait la loi. All right, Makes nice. the law. Who calls the shots? Yeah, and that one is like, a, I think, a euphemism in French, right? Who's... Who's the shot caller? All right, and then in Spain, this one is El Sheriff de la Valle de las Balas. Um, Sheriff nice. of the Valley of the Bullets, yeah. Uh, let's see, you want to do the Dutch title there from sure. Netherlands? Hang on. De Sheriff van de Gogo Valley. Yep, direct, uh, direct one. Sheriff of Boat Valley. Awesome. Um, and then I'll do, I'll do Italy and leave you Mexico. Um, Italy wow. is uh, Sheriffo di Val... Mitralia, Sheriff of uh, Machine Gun Valley, I think is is actually the tra translation. And Mexico. Awesome. Mexico, El Sheriff de Valle Feliz, the Sheriff Happy Valley. Yeah, I, I don't know why that printing calls it Happy Valley, but but there you go. All right, so we've got our background trivia. We've got our titles from around the world. So um, value-wise, I found a 9.2 edition of this that was sold for $2,500. So, oh. yeah, these are getting a little bit more affordable. Um, there, there may come a point where, we don't, where we're not really interested in the value anymore. But, uh, yeah, still fun to know. So the background, I'm not going to talk too much right now about this because I think we can touch on it naturally throughout the story. But to me, like the subtext of this, the cultural subtext is like the collision of the Old West and the New West. Right. We've got um, we've got kind of the, the cowboys, the, the ranch hands that have been doing this the old way in the story versus the new modern way. And then we've got of course, all of the Hollywood cliches and how that intersects with the reality of the West. And then, of course, you know, we've got this this era consistent fascination with like ray guns are going to show up in this one. Right. Radar. It's the same thing with like uranium and, and atomic energy, how it's kind of this catch all. Right. And it can do anything. I mean, I, I love it. I love it as a MacGuffin in this story. I think it, I think it feels very natural. But you know, it's it's definitely a little bit of like magic story juice. Sure, it's just uh, it's that era right after the World War, and you know, and radar was this big thing, and it was just this, okay. Well, let's do rays. Yeah, we discovered all this aspect of electromagnetic electromagnetic scale. Um, yeah, exactly. A notable appearances in this one, you know, he's a one-off villain, but uh, Black Snake McQuirt to me is very notable. He is one of the cooler villains I think Barks has ever used. Yeah, he he has a good development, um, a good comeuppance, and a really good actual, really good plan for a bad guy. He's a solid bad guy. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know what I 
really like about him, unlike a lot of Disney villains, I I never have any doubt that he will straight up murder Donald. <laughs> yes. He is yes. He is an intense, frightening villain to me. So as far as Donald goes, which version of him we've got, this is the one where he starts out as very overconfident, and then he kind of calibrates and, and, and switches into that sort of determined, get-it-done version of Donald. Yeah, we don't really see the coward version of him from that we saw in Bear Mountain. Yeah, that's true. That's the most recent one. Um, oh, apart from from Darkest Africa, we did that one recently where you know, Barks needed him to be a coward. In this one, he needs him to be brave. So that's that's what he does. He's Donald is his everyman. All right, Eric, are any any other pre-story comments before we talk about the actual plot of this one? Well, I, I just quickly on, on what your last comment was, Donald is, yes, he's normally a coward, but in this aspect, he's so inundated and obsessed with Westerns that he's convinced himself, I've watched them all, I can do this, this is what I am. So that kind of overcomes that typical cowardice of him, even though his nephews are like, really? He's like, absolutely, I can do this. And that never really wavers. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good summation of it. Right. All right, so the Sheriff of Bullet Valley opens with a kind of soliloquy on the Old West. We've got Donald and the nephews driving through the West, but the, the focus is more on the scenery at first. And the narration box is it's describing the classic West of cinema with some really like florid language about desperados and rustlers and grim-lipped sheriffs. And the ducks drive past a classic boot hill, and then they enter a small Western town where the narration box abruptly halts to let them investigate a wanted poster that promises $2,000 for the capture of the gang of rustlers that are now cleaning out what we learn is Bullet Valley. And one nephew mentions thinking that he thought cattle rustlers only came to life in the movies. And this is the part where Donald actually winks at the audience, and he informs them of his intention to collect that reward, stating that he's seen enough Western movies to know all the angles. And um, we get a, a quick initial look at Bullet Valley, which really is straight out of the movies. The depiction of Bullet Valley is great. Um, I love the little things in the sides, the cow running and then a random gun just lying somewhere in the dirt is, is a great depiction of this lawless, tough valley that people live in. Yeah. All right, and so Donald goes in to meet the sheriff of Bullet Valley, and he strides in confidently and tells him that he'd like to clean out those wrestlers for him. The sheriff seems to be a very relaxed man with a sleepy look who favors a pipe. He tells Donald these wrestlers are a job for the U.S. Marines, but Donald isn't discouraged, and he describes a bunch of scenarios that Hollywood heroes like Sagebrush Savage, Wild Bill Carson, and Trigger True Shot used to capture the baddies again claiming that it's all in knowing the angles and the sheriff decides to take him on and eric i can't figure out you know if the sheriff is like humoring him um because he thinks it's going to be harmless uh or if he's looking to have a little bit of fun with him i can't quite place a beat on it because the sheriff seems like a very like kind understanding man you know i get the sense that he's just humoring him saying Listen, I've done everything you want. You want to try? Go for it. I obviously can't convince you to not do it, so here, run with it. Yep. And so as Donald is sworn in as deputy sheriff, the, the sheriff counsels him that he's going to have to get 
evidence on these rustlers, and they'll need to catch them red-handed. Donald references Ramrod Ranson catching them with their Brandon irons in the fire in Gunfire on the Rio, and he rides off on on an incredibly fat horse. And um, contrary to what the narration box says, the sleepy inhabitants of Bullet Valley are totally disinterested in the new deputy, as they mentioned that the previous four never came back. And um, He's going to disappoint Huey, Dewey, and Louie by telling them that they need to get a room at the hotel and keep out of his way. And as he leaves town, he comes to a signpost that tells us about some of the local ranches, which includes the Double X outfit, which has been the one that's complaining um, loudest of, of theft. So he goes there first. And as a fan of Westerns and of, uh, it's important that on, on this sign, they show the different brands of each ranch. Um, the brands being such an important part of Westerns of people being able to identify which cattle are theirs and very distinct that it's a very, very common plot device in so many Westerns is the type of brand that the ranches have. Right, exactly. And this is a neat little bit of universe building where we, we learn about the Diamond Ranch and the W Ranch and um, one that I can't pronounce. Um, so Donald rides for a while and happens on a, lo a lone unbranded calf in a stream. He herds it along, intending to lead it to a cow, when he comes upon a tough-looking cowboy who draws a gun on him and accuses him of stealing the calf. Donald introduces himself as the new deputy and protests that it was unbranded, but the man demands that he ride to the calf's other side, where Donald is shocked to see the double X brand. So... Eric, this is our first look at uh, Black Snake, and uh, tell, me, tell me what you think about him. Oh, he is your prototypical villain. The minute you see it on screen, you're going like, yep, that's the bad guy. No matter what they say, what they do, yes, that is the bad guy. Yeah, he's got a literal black hat, right? He's um, always uh -huh. got a cigarette in his mouth. And, and Donald has no idea initially, but we know he's the villain right away. And boy, this, um, this Western scenery that uh, Donald is riding through sure, sure is beautiful. Yeah, it's very picturesque. All right, so the man insinuates that Donald is just posing as a deputy so he can rustle cattle. And he mentions um, catching previous deputies also stealing calves. Just then, one of his fellow cowboys tells the man that Donald's horse and saddle look like his as well. And uh, he promptly identifies them, again, by the brand before threatening to shoot Donald. This is, this is a great setup for the mystery of like, wait, what's going to happen? What's the device? How's that going on? Because you can go back, look through the comic and say, no, that horse wasn't branded, but now it is. What's the trick? I think it's a great way to pull the audience in is to give them a mystery to have to solve. Yeah, that's that's a good point, right? Because if you're the reader, you um you definitely have the luxury of going back to check and and I definitely did. I assume you did as well. Sure. Right. So the reader gets really drawn in cuz they know that definitely wasn't there before. All right. And so Donald is uh very rattled by what's going on and he leaps down to go on foot to clear things up with the sheriff in town. And uh, the man, we, we find out he's, he is Black Snake McQuirt. He does let him leave, and he tells him to tell the sheriff to stop his deputies from stealing livestock. And Donald walks through the brush, pondering this mysterious mix-up. 
And this is the part where he's going to start smelling a plot that's right out of his favorite movies. In particular, the one where Horace Mustang jailed hundreds of innocent men before he discovered that the leader of the wrestlers was his kindly old grandmother. Um, and meanwhile, we cut back to Blacksnake, whose gang is eyeing the fat steers in the nearby Diamond Ranch and uh, is leeringly planning to pay old Jim Diamond a visit. I want to see the movie Fagin's Fangs. That sounds like a great, great movie. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I And I thought that was hilarious, his description of that movie about the kindly old grandmother. And right away at, the, at this one, I, I like how Barks is bringing us in on Black Snake's, you know, conversations, his schemings. Um, we, we don't know explicitly yet that he's the villain, even though as, as the reader, we can tell. But um, I, I really like this sort of parallel development. Yeah, it's it's nice that they're using him as a villain, but they're also not giving away how he does it. Right. So it's still a mystery to, to get solved later on to keep the reader in suspense. All right. So on the next page, um, Donald decides to delay heading back into town d- due to him being suspicious of the sheriff. And so his hike takes him to the Diamond Ranch, where he meets the previously mentioned old Jim, who is a, a very agreeable rancher who knows a little bit about Black Snake. Donald tells him about the mix-up with the calf and his horse, and old Jim vows that uh, Black Snake better not try to find his brand on any of his cattle. And just then, Black Snake and his gang arrive on horseback, and um, I, I really like this little panel where they arrive. I find it, you know, very menacing. Oh, it's fantastic. You can see them coming up five riders in the distance with their guns drawn um, and the look of shock and of surprise on old Jim Diamond and Donald gives you everything you need to know is like, uh Oh, this is trouble. Right. I find this really cinematic. Like I can, I can hear the sound effects, the hoofs uh-huh. clopping, um, clopping when I read this. Yep. I can hear the, I can hear the soundtrack swelling right now because there's going to be a standoff. Right. All right, so um, Donald and Old Jim notice the very menacing submachine guns that Black Snake's gang is packing. And when he arrives um, on an absolutely livid looking horse, Black Snake points uh, at Jim's herd and he claims to want to look at them to verify that they aren't his stolen steers carrying the double X brand. And. Um, he, he, he demands it, and he snips his way through Jim's fence, who's just fuming, but he allows him to because he's confident he has nothing to hide. But sure enough, Black Snake's gang starts to round up the steers, and when Jim protests, McQuirt points out the double X brand again on every one. Yeah, so the audience knows, okay, there's a gag here. How is he getting this brand on so many things so fast? Um, and it's it's been... It's interesting that this is the only thing they're using as the proof. I mean, really, back in Westerns, they would have certification of how big their cattle was. They record their births. They log all those things that they have as how many head they had. So, I mean, ideally, and this is the put a little damper on it, so I don't mean to do that. Ideally, if McCork were to come into this valley and establish a ranch, they would have documented how many head of cattle they had so they could know, wait, You've got way more than you should have, but again, this is this is a western, right. so all those small towns stuff—it's it, not always uh, well documented, and uh, 
Yeah, this for is the story. exactly that's exactly what a podcast is for, right? To to nerd out over the little um, the little trivia and and point sure. out inconsistencies, right? Because we know that uh, you know he has to take some liberties with this, and and if you really examine the plot, it would fall apart. But it's, <laughs> it's fun to have this. Um, it it is fun. It I to me it works very well under its own like tight definition. All right, so um, old Jim is outraged, but when he approaches, sure enough, he is totally flummoxed to see Black Snake's brand on all of his steers. And uh, Black Snake implies that he could have Jim jailed for rustling, but Jim proclaims that he's innocent and he demands to know where his steers could be. Black Snake disavows this as not his problem but um, rather it's Deputy Donald's problem. And uh, so Donald and old Jim ponder, you know, what's going on. I, I like that Diamond Jim is just as confused as the audience is. What? This doesn't make sense. How is he doing this? Yeah, and, and I really feel for Diamond Jim. You know, he's really well drawn, and I just I feel like I get a, a good idea of his character. Again, just a decent rancher trying to do right. Um, who is totally at, at a loss in this situation. So I think in this story, Barks does a really nice job of developing these side characters with uh, very little time. So Donald is um, distrustful of Jim, and he his, his instincts aren't exactly right on. And he asks Jim if he has any other steers, and Jim tells him about another herd that consists of rescued range steers that he's combed out of the hills that are hidden in a box canyon behind his homestead. Um, Donald sounds him out about who else works the ranch, and when Jim says that it's just him there, Donald lassos him, and he ties him to a post, telling him that he's under arrest for cattle rustling. What do you, uh, what do you think about Donald's instincts here, Eric? I think he's hedging his bets he's like you know i can't be sure i'm gonna err on the side of caution because i saw a movie about this once and i'm gonna tie him up and if he isn't too bad if he is then i stopped him yeah and you know something else that i like about this one as i read it uh again is just the little micro geography you know of um these little places and this canyon that's behind the the ranch it feels very like lived in to me. Yeah, it's it's well developed for area wise for the, the whole geography and build up in the how the valley set up. Yeah, the valley feels like feels like a place to me. Um, after lashing Jim to the post, Donald does locate the three hundred head of cattle in the box canyon, and he makes note of their diamond brand. So we get to see that. Uh, he surmises then that Jim hid his thin steers in the canyon so that he could replace them with Black Snake's herd and that the sheriff must also be in on it. Meanwhile, we go to the nephews who have taken Donald's car, determined not to let their uncle be the only one having fun. Tell me what you think on this, but I definitely want to hear what you think about the nephews driving off. Well, first off, I want to say this in these scenes is visually... They make a very specific effort. He makes a very specific effort to show them the diamond brand on all the cattle and on the horse. So obviously the brands are important and he's using that as a, he's putting that in the background so that way you notice them. But of course the nephew's driving off in Donald's car 
it's just all right well hey uncle Don's out here let's go for a drive that's so fantastic these guys are gonna be like what 10 years old right go for joyride in this car and go look for it and no one questions him i was i was impressed when donald said go get a hotel room you stay there like okay guys i'm gonna go fight crime you be responsible for yourselves yeah like what a poor poor job as an uncle and to be fair, I think there's just some expectation that he knows how independent his nephews can be. That's that's true, but but still. I'm going to say this isn't the first time they've taken his car for a joyride. Probably not. So the nephews ponder that they are going to avoid Donald while they scout for rest, rustlers in Bullet Valley. And meanwhile, Donald is trailing Black Snake, but as he approaches his ranch, um, a warning shot fires from a lookout. And that stops him from crossing the pass that separates black snakes. And that random shot of the car with the bunnies in the foreground is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Those uh, prolific bunnies. And, and again, a little bit of like this sort of microgeography where we know that black snake is hiding something because um, the pass, the only pass into his his lair is guarded. All right. And um, so the lookout is using a walkie talkie, which must have been the height of technology at the time, based on how Donald reacts to summon Black Snake. And then he hides behind the pass while Black Snake is talking with Donald. And so Donald is telling Black Snake that he's figured out how Jim Diamond stole his steers. And uh, the hidden lookout is just like beside himself with silent laughter. Um, while while Donald is is revealing things to Black Snake, and um, as he reveals this so-called scheme, Donald slips that Jim has another herd of hidden steers, and uh, Black Snake um, is you know very excited to hear this, and he yet again points out the double X brand on Donald's horse, who looks just as surprised as Donald is. Yes, this is the second time Donald's had that trick pulled on him, and. We'll see how he uh, thinks of that, if he gets finally gets suspicious or not. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like Black Snake is really pushing his luck here. I also really like the artistry that Barks, um, I, I guess more the the composition that Barks has done in having this like conversation from these two perspectives, right? Donald's conversation with Black Snake and then the, ah. the, um, the henchman listening in. Um, and seeing these different reactions, you know, the black snake kind of silently trying to to keep from laughing, and then the henchman just just busting up with he he still has to be quiet, but he can visually show his his reaction. I think this yeah, is that's, really that's that's good that's good artwork right there. All right, and um, Donald again boggles at how this brand keeps appearing. And uh, when Black Snake finds it on his saddle, too, he threatens to fill Donald full of lead. However, his henchman talks him down because he calls Donald so dumb that he's useful. And uh, Black Snake, um, you know, he unleashes the old Western cliche of making him dance um, by shooting at his feet. Donald walks away, nursing his feet, sour at Black Snake's grumpy attitude, while Black Snake prepares to rustle the diamond steers. And uh, at that moment, Huey, Dewey, and Louie arrive at the Diamond Ranch. Oh yeah, make him dance. That's 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 very typical. 
uh, best version of that, uh, Back to the Future 3. Yeah, that's the one that comes to my mind, too. And I have to admit, I can't think of a time when it was done straight, right? Like, I can only think of it being done as a parody or, you know, referencing what gets done uh, only in the later ones. So, I don't know. Oh, no, back in the day, it was very common to shoot at their feet and say, and then watch them hop and then laugh. If it was usually done at, like, the Quaker-type characters who were not violent, and didn't have a gun on them anyway, but it was just a way to bully and menace them. Yeah, no, oftentimes in front of the whole gang. Right. So that way the the victim would feel extra shame and guilt. And I I think that some of these Western cliches, you know, they happened all the time in like the really pulpy um, TV ones and sort of the Saturday matinee ones, but I don't think they really come up that much or as much in like the ones that are really remembered, you know, the old Eastwoods, um no in in those eras it's not so much it's very much and what he's what the movies that donald is referencing are those pulpy saturday matinee ones where it's you know the same five plots every two weeks yeah i feel like the john wayne stuff um would have already been kind of more on the cutting edge right like barks is probably Uh referencing stuff that's kind of classic even at at this time so probably he's he's probably thinking more of like late 30s early 40s stuff oh yeah definitely uh Hoplon cassie the cisco kid those types um all right so upon investigating the nephews discover jim tied to the post and they ask to hear his story before they're going to agree to turn him loose and allow him to go to the sheriff Jim explains to them his side of the story, and the nephews indicate that they really want to believe him, but they can't trust him until they establish it. Um, Jim asks them to verify that the canyon, the the canyon herd, is still there and still bear the diamond brand. I love the reasonable, the nephews going like, "Well, I mean, they seem in trouble. Like, wait, why is he tied up?" They ask that question. They tell Mike. He tells them, "Okay, we're looking for wrestlers. Uncle Don must have done it for a reason. We don't know." we're going to get more information before we do anything for sure because they don't want to get in trouble and they want to make sure they're, uh, they're being safe. And I appreciate that. Right. Yeah. They're incredibly level headed for um, three kids who have just taken a car. (laughs) They're they're not even worried about the car, about taking the car. Like Uncle Don's going to get back and see that we took the car and we're not in town. Like it doesn't even phase them. I love it. Right. They probably got enough experience to know that um, he'll overlook it once they, inevitably save his hide yeah all right so uh after establishing that the herd is safe the boys learn from jim about black snake you know we get a a little bit of nice kind of natural background Um, he is apparently new to the area and has made camp in the flats beyond rocky pass and, uh, and they find out about what happens when he finds his brand on other ranchers steers and the boys ponder this mystery um, when they realize that Black Snake and his riders have suddenly arrived, and um, they they engage, do you, do you want to tell us about the quick thinking that they do here? Well, they they realize that they have to hide, and there's no place to hide. So it's the typical let's jump in the hay. Well, let's bury the let's bury the rancher and hide with him so we can stay safe. Yeah, I like this. Is this uh, something that you've seen done in in any of the classics? Someone tied up being thrown in the hay? No, but hiding in the hay? Absolutely. Right. No, I like that part. Very normal. I like that part where you're a captive. You know, you you don't have time to untie him. So I I thought that was a neat touch. Yeah. 
I love the geography too in the flats beyond Rocky Pass because it's a pass through the rocks. So what else are you going to call it? Rocky right. Pass. Yeah, again, it feels very lived in. All right, so they hear Black Snake talk about taking Jim's steers, and they figure that that's enough proof to untie Jim, but they know that they still need more evidence against Black Snake. So they set up above the canyon, intending to spy as McQuirk drives away a herd of diamond cattle. But again, they're astonished to see that each steer now bears the double X brand. I really like the panel where they're just overwhelmed with puzzlement um, as as both Jim and the nephews are like, how does that brand get there? So confusing. All right. So at this point, the group split up. Jim is going to head to town to get the sheriff while the kids investigate the bottom and the top of the canyon. And up on top, they see what resembles tank tracks, which is their only clue. All right, and this is getting back into the whole branding issue because when the wrestlers would rustle cattle, they would rebrand them. That's why the shape of the brand is so important. They would put the new brand over the old brand. And that's when he's like, oh no, that brand's burned on, which they always are. The way to prove it is to kill one of the steers and skin it because the cattle is branded when they're young, that brand grows and so there's scar there's tissue so when rustlers come along and rebrand them they then skin where the brand is and they can see that it's the the old scar is not there so they can prove that that cattle has been rustled but i think the confusion in this one is how did they do this so quickly because it takes so much time and effort to do that right yeah i i appreciate that little gruesome detail uh, I didn't know about uh, branding and proving cattle fidelity. Um, but yeah, I think the whole premise behind Black Snake's plot here, right, is that um, no one's going to check too hard if everything, if, if, you, if you can believe your eyes, right? Uh-huh. All right, so the nephews follow the tracks uh, of this vehicle until they intersect with Black Snake and his gang and the herd driving toward Rocky Pass. And meanwhile, um, Donald has been on foot, right, This, this most of this time. So he settles down to rest in the near vicinity, and uh, exhausted, he snoozes as first the 300 stolen steer, then old Jim Diamond, and finally his nephews pass him unnoticed below. Um, and the nephews arrive at the pass, and they decide to approach cautiously, thinking that it looks like a good spot for an ambush. Yep, the nephew's always being reasonable, and someone falling asleep on lookout duty. So typical. Yeah, although I do feel some sympathy for Donald, right? He's uh, He's been without horse for, for much of this. Yeah, he's had a rough day. I'm not knocking him falling asleep. I'm just saying it's a cliche. Very well used. It makes me think of the movie, uh, John Wayne movie, Sons of Katie Elder, where they're kind of the whole thing stem the whole conflict between the two groups stems from a young kid falling asleep and waking up during lookout duty and taking a shot at somebody else and getting killed because of it because you know don't sleep on lookout duty yeah all right so um the nephews climb to the top of the pass and gazing at the valley below they're able to see thousands of cattle far more than the few head that black snake was said to have started with and approaching the hideout, they spot a large vehicle with padded wheels and what looks 
like a double X antenna that seems to have made the treads that they follow. Um, and getting a closer look, they decide that it's suspicious enough to take it to the sheriff. And as they do this, as they engage in a little more vehicular hijacking, uh, Black Snake and his gang are discussing breaking their camp and leaving Bullet Valley the next day because there's nothing left to steal. And then when they see that their Jeep has been stolen, they open fire on it. So apparently the nephew's uh, taking a joyride was not actually just something goofy and fun, but it was a plot device instead of this fact later on. Yeah, it uh, it establishes the, what they are capable of and, and that they can do this. All right, so the nephew's are able to plow past Black Snake's henchmen and leave through the pass as fast as possible with Black Snake and his men in pursuit, looking to recover the evidence that could send them to the pen. And eventually the nephews meet up with Old Jim and the sheriff with a posse of men. By this time, the nephews have figured out that the Jeep is equipped with a ray gun, um, ray or radar gun that beams heat through the double X antenna on the roof, and it can brand livestock or anything else at a great distance. And they demonstrate this on a nearby tree. The mystery is solved. Yeah. And, and I remember as a kid reading this and just, you know, loving this mechanism for, for how this was accomplished. I really like um, the sheriff's comment, Derned if it ain't a radar antennae. And then at the bottom, yeah, well, wonders never cease. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's a little folksy town and it got, you know, got technology introduced and completely blew them away. Yeah. All right. And um, so the nephews and the sheriff's posse are going to decide to set up an ambush for Black Snake McQuirt's group. But they happen to be underneath Donald's resting spot. And as he wakes up, he's processing the situation. He doesn't see the nephews. Um, he deduces that an innocent black snake is about to ride into the crooked sheriff's ambush. I like how Donald, you know, explains that even though I hate him, I can't let him get shot. Right. Yeah, his heart is in the right place, even if his brain isn't. So Donald warns the villain and uh, the sheriff loses some of the element of surprise. And as the posse opens fire, it seems like the outlaws are going to escape, but the nephews turn the tide of the, the battle by aiming the branding ray on the criminals, burning their butts, knocking them out of the saddle. Um, every double X rider gets apprehended except for Black Snake, the leader of the gang, who does make it to cover. And how do you know they're double X riders? <laughs> They've got the brand on them. Yeah, it, it all comes around. In the end. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Oh, you couldn't resist. Um, I, this is great. You know, I love I love this sequence of the nephew turning the, the ray on them, frying their butts from a distance, them leaping out. This is this is exciting. This is funny. This is some of the best. It is. I just have questions about how the ray works when it's just an antenna. Like there's no directional quotient or targeting apparatus on this thing that's just spinning around the top. They just have to know which side is the front, which side is the back to shoot it. It's it's fantastic. There's no up or down. It looks like it just shoots straight, but it hits like elevated and, you know, up and down. It's great. It's great science fiction. Right. You're right. You pointed out it doesn't seem to have the kind of like Z-axis yaw yes. or whatever you would need to um, brand steer from the top of a canyon. But, but again, I'm going to forgive it because to me, this is just very tightly constructed within its own oh, logic. Absolutely fantastic. 
All right, so um, the sheriff attempts to explain the situation to Donald, who still believes him to be the rustler. He dismisses the ray machine as nonsense, you know, probably having missed its use in, uh, in the chaos of the fight. Um, and then the nephews are just noting that when Donald is this stubborn, there will only be one way to convince him. And so they, uh, they f mark an a double X right on his stubborn butt, instantly making him a believer. And I'm sure they don't mind doing it at all. <laughs> yeah, I think they probably took a little bit of relish in that. All right, so we transition to later that night when the posse returns with bad news. They've lost track of Black Snake at the edge of the Badlands, where it is nearly impossible to track him. And then the sheriff says, he kind of gloomily intones, that it's his duty to go after Black Snake. Uh, one of one of the members tells him it's a suicide mission, but the sheriff feels duty bound, and Donald is just racked with guilt that this mess is his fault. So a short time later, there's a commotion at the corral, and it turns out to have been Donald who hijacked the sheriff's horse and went to make the arrest in his stead. And uh, the whole sheriff getting up for a, a fatal ride is just so western, um, but the line. Tell my folks, remember me when the bloom is on the sage. So westernly poetic. Yeah. Yeah, it's that great cowboy poetry. Um, I really feel, you know, Donald's like anguish in that uh, circular panel where he's just just feeling so terrible. Yeah. And we get another one of the nice like nighttime silhouette panels that Barks seems to like to do. All right. And um, again, so, some great sense of place as the next morning at the dawn of the next morning we transition to the badlands which is this very menacing place full of fearsome wildlife and we see black snake mccourt driving his horse like a man possessed uh, he's got like a fire in his eyes and he vows a violent revenge one day on bullet valley and again i absolutely believe him um, and we see Donald hot on Black Snake's trail, determined to redeem himself, because he doesn't want the kids to tease him for the rest of his days. Um, and so he psychs himself up for an arduous pursuit, but he's shocked to realize that he has the drop on Black Snake, who is facing away from him, letting his horse take water. This is one of my favorite sequences in all of Bark's comics with a villain. I just think that this is composed so perfectly, because again, this in this panel... I have no doubt that he wants to do exactly what he's going to say. This is just one of the like hardest, most vicious villains I think Barks has ever created. Sure. And I feel like he's created such a nice sense of like this, you know, pursuit. Uh, this is the point in the Western where the hero's at his lowest. And, and he's become like the lone man now at this point, right? Yeah, the lone man is out to just for vengeance now, not for profit, for anything else. I just want to get back to the people who, who ruined my plans. Now, Mark, I want to bring into this, uh, I want to make, bring attention to the aspect of him riding away with the snarl. And then right below it is a nice contrast of Donald chasing him. Yeah. Just, it's a, it's a neat contrast of how they are. Him, you know, Black Snake, heavy on the heavy and whipping his horse. And, you know, the horse is angry. Donald is hopeful and resolute, but... The, and the horse is determined as well. And and I love the contrast of the villain is primarily colored in red. 
with you know the red saddle the red reins the red shirt it's very prominent and donald is red the blue saddle the blue reins and the big blue prominent hat to give you a nice contrast of you know good guy and bad guy yeah it is a good choice on the colorer's part um barks wouldn't have had a say in that but i'm sure that's what he was you know imagining as he drew this and, and this you know, this is the page where it's going to kind of diverge, right? At the at the end of this page, Donald's kind of shocked when it, it starts to not play out um, like the movies, right? Because you don't uh -huh. usually you don't usually get the drop on the bad guy like this. So um, Donald curses the bad luck that he doesn't get to be a hero. And he announces himself startling Black Snake, who reaches for the sky. Uh, and Black Snake here is going to goad Donald into holstering his guns and drawing from like an even posture, which is a critical mistake because Black Snake shoots Donald right through his holsters and he seems to have struck Donald with every shot here. Classic, once you have your guns out, don't put them away. Yeah. There's yeah. plenty of Westerns where you get the drop on someone and you don't let them get a fair fight. Have you seen that holster trick in any of them? You know, I haven't, but it's an easy way to get around having a quick draw contest. Yeah, I liked that. And, and it's I think we're meant to really be impacted by that last panel, right? Because Donald... Absolutely. Th this is a very convincing looking panel of Donald being shot to death. Yes, which is, imagine, especially at the end, it's at the end of the page, you're like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, I... I have to guess that it was deliberately paced like that so you have to turn the page to see what happened all right so um black snake walks over donald's body and he's yodeling a cowpoke song and pondering his next move donald seems surely dead he's got an x over his visible eye um and there's like vultures leering at him in the background but gradually he does come to um we realize that he's been saved by the old trope of the sheriff's badge stopping the bullets and so he mounts his horse determined to catch black snake again and uh, when he comes on black snake he is again easy pickings as why wouldn't he be black snake thinks that he's killed donald you have to admit the black snake's a pretty good shot to have all of his uh, bullets just hit that giant mother of a star on him yeah especially right through the holsters all right so donald approaches him from behind a rock and he pretends to haunt him but Black Snake doesn't believe in ghosts, and he tosses a live grenade over and past Donald's terrified face, yodeling another song happily as it detonates. Um, but Donald is singed, but alive. He tells Black Snake that the grenade exploded in a badger hole, and then Donald shoots out the support of a really precarious rock, toppling it on Black Snake. I think this is my favorite exchange in this in this comic this ridiculous fight where they both think they have the other person dead to rights and the ridiculousness of how they get out of it yeah i agree this is a great sequence right because this is like a, a very violent fight and it it just becomes more and more unlikely and ridiculous and i think it's kind of crashing in on donald's fantasy of you know how the west is supposed to work um, and it's also playing with like Black Snake's use of, of technology and violence because who brings a grenade to their uh, their cattle ranch? Yeah, I mean, who? Guns were a, a factor to shoot animals and, and things like that. But if you're not riding a ranch, why do you have a grenade? <laughs> now, a stick of dynamite might be more believable, but still, grenades fun. Yeah. All right. So um, the rocks crash over Black Snake. 
and uh, Donald stands atop the pile. He hollers for him to come out. But Black Snakes also had a very unlikely stroke of luck as the rocks knocked him through the roof of a cave. You know, as, as you mentioned, this battle kind of devolves into a farce. Black Snake can't aim at Donald because he's like being jostled around by the fire of his guns. And he can't hit Black Snake for basically the same reason. Um, and eventually, McQuirt's belt buckle breaks under the weight of all the stray bullets that have filled up his pants, and he flees due to his guns being empty. Um, Donald gets the drop on Black Snake, Black Snake, who's down to his underwear, but then his guns go dry as well. You know, I really liked the um, Donald's comment, that never happened in Trigger True Shots pictures. And then when his guns go dry, um, my gosh, these things wow. do run dry, don't they? I love the line, move around so you'll get in the way of my bullets, recognizing <laughs> that he's not the best shot. And he's just like, no, come on. Yeah, everything everything written on this page is kind of maximizing that combination of like um, cowboy speak and, and humor. All right, so um, Donald pursues Black Snake on his horse, intending to lasso him. And Black Snake leads them to a log over a chasm, and he spins them both on that log. Um, but Donald's horse is able to keep it up with him. And then suddenly the horse clamps his hooves tight, sending Black Snake down into the chasm. Donald catches him with that lariat, and just for good measure, he turns him into a human yo-yo, uh, acknowledging that it's not what Rimfire Remington would do, but it is more fun. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, you know, it looks like this is something that Barks really just wanted to repurpose from that storyboard that he had done in that cartoon. So it's it's a little silly, but it's fun. Yep. I love the horse being so sure-footed. Yeah. And the fact that they're going to spin a log above this canyon with no worries about the log spinning out of control and them all falling down. Right. That's our that's some of our cartoon physics for the uh, for the issue. And the horses, it's fun how the horses in this kind of personify um, the the emotions of their riders. It's a nice little comic touch. So on the, the final page, we've got Donald leading the captured black snake back in the glow of the western twilight. Um, Donald's admiring the colors of sunset, but black snake moans that everything looks magenta to him, I assume through his like black eyes um and then later on we transition to the sheriff deciding that his time for retirement has come and he decides to leave his job to a younger abler man donald duck and then we get a fun little epilogue where a man approaches the sheriff's office desperate with the news of a bank robbery but he's stopped by huey doing louie who tell him to simmer down and sheriff duck will take care of it just after the show which turns out to be the newest horse opera at the red saddle theater where sheriff duck clearly goes to keep up on the latest western shenanigans Yes. And I love that the messenger falls down and here you see the, the plop as the messenger falls down in shock that the sheriff's at the movies. Right. Yeah. Very classic. So that is the sheriff of Bullet Valley. Um, you know, I think I, I think I've already tipped my hat by just effusing on how much I enjoyed so much of this one. Uh, but, you know, what do you think, Eric? How as a Western fan yourself, how did this one stack up? What, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, I think it's fantastic. I think it's the perfect blend of Western 
tropes and cliches and Donald Duck and that Donald still is the fool, but like a true Western, he redeems himself and has that one-on-one showdown with the bad guy, which is fantastic. Instead of having it just be the typical gunfight, it becomes this whole scene of Donald mano a mano, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this one is one of Bark's masterpieces. Um, it's so tightly paced. It's very exciting. It's very funny. It has uh, fantastic art, um, just a, a really vicious villain with, as you said, a really great plan and uh, just enough of a mystery to make this just incredibly entertaining. So um, I, I've never really thought before about how I would rank some of these stories, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that if I sit down and do it, this is going to be like a top 10 or top 20 or so Bark story for me. So I think this is a masterpiece. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you really enjoy this one. Any thoughts, any other thoughts before I check in on, on the general community's opinion of this one? No, I, like I said, I think I'd, I've read this one before and I remember liking it and I'm reading, reading it. And I'm like, wait a minute, they have used a ray, right? Yes. But reading it again allowed me to send, uh, look, look for those Western tropes, like as you said, and say, oh my gosh, yes, this is referencing that, that's referencing this. And just the, the goofiness of the small town, this, you know, at the, this uh, city dweller, Greenhorn, coming in to clean up the town because of his knowledge of Westerns that he never shook his confidence that he could do it. And I think that's fantastic. Right. Yeah. As you say, this one is best appreciated if you come in from the perspective of it being like a, a love letter to or a meditation on Westerns and on the Wild West itself. And, you know, our ideas of the Wild West come from Hollywood, so this this is really the perfect way to think about it and to poke some gentle fun at it. Absolutely. So the the community agrees with both of us. This one is an incredibly well-regarded one. As of when I looked it up, this one had, had an 8.4 out of 10 rating on the Index website where we go to look at the general consensus, and that was good for 14th overall out of all the nearly 41,000 Disney comics stories that are rated on index so that places this yeah in in the very very highest tier of comics um so people people love this one it's um very well remembered very well regarded and then you know as far as reflecting on how well it holds up this one is an interesting one to think about right because like it is incredibly dated but it's like dated in a way that's very purposeful and deliberate right it's i feel like He's already kind of reflecting on those myths of the Old West and already acknowledging that they're myths. So like it's it's hard to it's hard to accuse this one of being dated because that's kind of the point of it in a yes. way. And even even when you get some of the like technology stuff like the old fashioned walkie talkies, you know, that's still modern technology for the Old West in a lot of ways. Well, that that's what makes it a classic. And, you know, Rewatching some of the movies um, that came out back then that were current and modern then, I'm sure people are like, wow, this is a great movie. I, you know, I can understand this. Looking at it back now, we look at them and say, well, this is extremely dated because it's very, you know, no cell phones, all this other stuff, no modern conveniences. But you look at it more as a snapshot of the era and appreciating it. And you're like, wow, this is a classic. It helps me understand that era better. Um, and I think that's what this does. It's because it's so well done and and all that so 
I, I definitely appreciate it making it, it. It is a classic. Yeah. And, and the thing is that like the, the genre of the Western has basically like fallen off a cliff, right? We don't, they're incredibly rare nowadays. They were at their height of their popularity at a time in history where it kind of made more sense. And uh, I feel like the genre is, it kind of had a limited number of stories to tell, right? So uh, to me, this is kind of the best way to look at it is is like reflecting on it as, you know, what are the ideas that led to the Western? But But it's fascinating to me how like they were so ubiquitous at this time when Barks was writing this love letter to them and they basically don't exist anymore. Uh, no, not really. There's, there's not many people appreciate a, a good Western um, or know what they were referring to in the Westerns are. They've definitely, their heyday has passed and I don't think we will ever see that again. Yeah. And a big part of the, I mean, I think it's very understandable why the heyday has passed. Right. And, uh, and a, and a big part of it is just some, so many of our ideas of the old West are not, um, not in fashion anymore. And no. this story is very fortunate too, to have avoided some of the like tropes. Um, so much of the horse opera stuff was about Indians. Right. And uh, and it's it's a, it's a relief that he wasn't really interested in that cowboy and Indian story. He was more interested in that open range cattle wrestling story because uh -huh. um, we don't really have to talk about some of the stuff that hasn't aged well because again, it, it didn't age well in the in the same way that Noah westerns sure aged well but it, it's still there's nothing really like that that makes me cringe or that i feel like i have to explain away if i read this to my 10 year old no not at all it's very straightforward there's a good guy there's a bad guy bad guy gets fooled bad guy uh, good guy learns what's going on stops the bad guy yeah um so as as far as appearances in other media go um barks did have a lithograph uh, an oil painting based on his cover for this one that I'll have to share with you. Um, do you. Do you have the means to look it up really quick, actually? It's it's just called, I would just Google, Oil Painting Sheriff of Bullet Valley. It's, it's really stunning. Let's take a um, quick look. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a great lithograph or oil painting that I know has been used as the cover art for at least one reprint of this one. I don't think that Black Snake's ever been used again which i think is unfortunate because i again i thought he was a great villain um and to my knowledge you know they never tried to adapt this for ducktales or anything as far as um as far as educational value you know this one did have some neat kind of western themed vocabulary it's not the most educational one but um i learned what a cayuse is from this one <laughs> and there's just some some good sort of cowboy poetry throughout this one Wow, that is a good painting. Yeah, yeah, that's a really neat one. I like the, I think the colors really pop. Um, and I love the original cover. The, you know, that's an adaptation of the cover for this one. There are a ton of really beautiful and cool panels in this one, many of yes. which we've already talked about. Uh, are there any that really stand out to you? I was trying to look at them. I, I really like the intro and it's setting the, setting the pace, it's setting the, the scene. Yeah, are you talking about the like landscape? The landscape. And then yeah. I also like I'm trying to think. I'm looking through going like, man, there's just so many. There really that's, are. That's one of the great things about a Western. People always talk about this, that is the oh well, the hero, this. The backdrop and the landscape of Westerns are so important. They're so pretty. 
and it's such beautiful country that you go like, oh, wow. And so I like a lot of these things when they have distance shots and you see things like the nephews are watching the cat, the, the, the cattle get um, rustled. It's just a nice shot of the geography and everything. Um, going to the Badlands. It's just so fantastic. I don't know if there's any one panel that is obviously my favorite. And this one has such good artwork, and there's so many of the, the classic Bark silhouetted scenes. Um, Donald leading the leading him back into town, and yeah. then dealing with the sunrise. I think it's just very pretty, very good artwork. So I, I'd be hard pressed. Honestly, probably the pan. The, I don't know if it's the panel, but the whole page. We talked about it when they're chasing each other in the Badlands. That whole page is amazing yeah i i agree with you i really keyed in on those uh panels of black snake vowing retribution i don't know why those stick with me um but i i really noticed too there's a lot of great reaction shots just of characters thinking and and reacting to things you know donald's anguish the sheriff's resignation the sheriff's delight at seeing the nephews um, burning the radar on the britches of the the wrestlers. There's a ton of great great art and great sequences. In yeah, I, I did like the um, the slapstick factor that they included in this one with a lot of the reactions with the question marks and so many befuddled characters different times. And then you know the slapstick of them getting burned and the horses particularly. These are not well drawn horses when it comes to a horse. Right, they're very yeah. much. They're very much a cartoon animated horse where they're just got the floppy legs. Right. And it's it, it's so fantastic and keeps that slapstick comic book uh, feel to it very well. Yeah, I, I've been rereading some of the old Mickey Floyd Gottfordson stories. And I think that the um, cartoon that Barks was working on was originally meant to be a vehicle for um, Mickey's horse from the comic strip Tanglefoot which had this like brief brief little burst of popularity in the 30s so I I think that's kind of where some of that humor with the horse might might come from um so anyway um we've had a lot to say about this one I'll just note before before finishing that at an 8.4 this is the second best rated one out of the stories that we've talked about so far i think only adventure down under um clicked in a tiny bit higher do you eric have any any closing thoughts before we wrap it up uh, no just that it's fantastic and i love it it's it's i think it, it's well merited in its spot as a classic it's a it's a great comic it explains itself from start to finish it has a resolution it has the explanation and it's it's an a wonderful ode to uh to westerns which I very much appreciate. Yeah, I totally agree. I love it even as someone who doesn't really care for Westerns. So great story all around. Um, Eric, thank you so much for joining me again. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. Uh, If you have any thoughts or comments, you can drop us a line at barksremarks at gmail.com or on the Facebook page. Uh, We have gotten a little bit, a couple of our first email feedback, which I was very pleased to see. So I heard from um, Ruben had given me some feedback on the audio quality of Christmas on Bear Mountain and um, was able to go back and improve some of that. So he had some positive things to say, but uh, I was glad that we could improve the audio quality on that one and 
I'm, I'm always trying to keep that strong going forward. Um, and then Roger had emailed providing some very kind feedback um, and saying that he routinely was searching uh, Apple Podcasts, I think, for Carl Barks podcasts. And the last time he did it was uh, pleased to actually see that one existed. So, you know, I promote this on the Carl Barks Facebook group, but I'm glad that people are finding it from other sources as well. So thank you guys for um, chiming in. I really appreciate it. And uh, please join us next time on Barks Remarks when we get to talk about the golden Christmas tree.